Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Are you a morning person? Uh, yeah, I really am, which I think is quite unusual for a musician. Yeah, um, I don't, most I speak to tend to be, don't get up until like midday or whatever. Yeah, I, I'm always like at my best in the morning. I'm like really, like I love, I just love the mornings. I love getting a cup of tea. I love my little routine. I'm always like the most creative in the morning as well. What's the first thing you think when you wake up? Breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> An existential dread, but breakfast first. Existential breakfast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what does breakfast kind of consist of? Oh, I'm so weird. I don't want to tell you. It's weird. How come? I, I don't know. I just have really weird like, obsessions with food. But um, my my current like comfort breakfast thing is to just eat dry cereal in a mug. Why in a mug? I don't know. I, I think it's because it's dry more of cereal. like... It's the mug that tips me over the edge. Yeah, the mug's bothering you. Um, why the mug? I, I've never even asked myself that. I I don't know. I think maybe it's like a portion control thing. Because I feel like if I have a bowl full of dry cereal, that's too much yeah because when you look well when you look at that thing you know when they have like the recommended servings or whatever and you see a picture of it what it's supposed to be in the bowl and you always go like three times over it or whatever it's ridiculous yeah i once <laughs> measured out like what is it like 30 grams they recommend it's like a little tiny handful yeah it's something stupid yeah it's depressing unless you're having that muesli stuff if it's like quite dense yeah that's that's very true but, but then you get tricked out yeah I'm still thinking about why I don't eat it in a bowl. That stumped me. <laughs> I think maybe it's because it's like the absence of the milk is more obvious when it's in a bowl. That That's probably yeah. what it is. There we go. We've sussed it. Do you <laughs> eat it with a spoon or do you just neck it out the cup? Not with a spoon, no. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I sometimes like go for like a drinking 
drinking motion, but mostly it's just it's just you know like crisps. Yeah, you're a fan of Peep Show, right? I feel like we're kind of skirting around the edges of a skit that could crop up in that. That's so true. I saw I follow like a Peep Show <laughs> meme thing. I don't know how you know that. Um, and what was it? I saw it yesterday. It was like I just want to eat my toast in peace, and that's that's how I feel most of the time. <laughs> You're more of a Mark or Jez then? Sounds like you're veering towards Mark. Oh, I'm way more of a Mark, yeah. I'd like to think I was Jez, Jez-like, but no. Although, I'm like Jez in the sense that, like, I'm quite bad at getting my shit together, but I'm like Mark in all the boring ways. You and Jez are both musicians. You've got that in common. It, could we call him a musician, though? I don't want to be snobby here. <laughs> is he a musician or is he a man with a keyboard? That's really the, the question. Yeah, I think we all know the answer to that one. Can songwriting teach you things about your own personality? We were kind of talking a little bit there about which one you tend to be a bit more like. Well, yeah, I suppose so. Uh, yeah, I, I find that I'll I'll discover things about myself through songwriting. Um, but I'm I'm quite well. I'm very introspective anyway, so I think like I spend most of my day trying to like analyze my own brain and being quite egocentric so um yeah I think there's there only only occasionally have I written a song and been like oh that's actually told me something I didn't know about myself what do you mean when you say analyzing your own brain like can I give me an example what sort of thing I think because like I there are lots of things about like my mental health and like the way that I am that I I would quite like to uh, for want of a better word, fix, which I know is not a particularly healthy kind of attitude. So I think I'm constantly like trying to like see why I do things and how I can be better. You kind of look at that a little bit on, is it Time Comes in Roses when you're talking yeah. about being tired of looking like your mother or being yeah. like your mother? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't look like her. Yeah, she wasn't like super pleased by that lyric, but... Um, <laughs> I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think everybody feels like that in a certain way about their parents um when you when you recognize that you're behaving in a way that your your parent does and then you think god the inevitable is happening um yeah i think like time comes and roses is one of those songs that um is the most honest uh and uh i keep i keep calling it self-indulgent which self-deprecating yeah sort of it's it was just having it was like really I consciously wrote it for myself because I it was locked down and I think it was the first lockdown and I was obviously seeing how awful you know that that whole this whole time has been for so many people but particularly for people who are so much less privileged than me and then I started getting writer's block because I just thought I am just some you know, I was thinking of myself as some privileged white girl, just like, what do I have to say kind of thing? And so I wouldn't let myself write about anything because I was like, you know, it, I'm, I'm irrelevant or no one needs to hear my voice kind of thing. And then, and then I just sat down and thought, well, I need to get this out. So I'm just going to indulge myself um, and probably no one will hear it. Um, and then I, I actually thought it was all right. So people did hear it you kind of wrote about your own experience through looking at a broader thing though was that what helped to clear the writer's block by trying to tackle time passing as opposed to as opposed to something kind of more minute like you're looking at a very broad issue 
Yeah, I mean, I think what cleared the writer's block was was more so because because the writer's block was coming from me feeling like um, I didn't have a sort of right to... Uh, well, that no one needed to hear my, my perspective or my art or whatever. Um, so I think the reason it cleared the writer's block was because I was like, right, well, no one has to hear this, this is just for me. So it was more of like a, a sort of... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it writer's block. It was more just me being down on myself and not really letting myself write. But I think, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of helpful to contextualise my own experience of mental health through, through like you say, a broader problem. Uh, and and I think in that was was some stuff that is quite universal and that we were all well, most of us were feeling. It sounds like that could be quite dangerous as well, though. Like thinking you don't have a right to a voice, because then could it almost invalidate what you're feeling? Totally, and I think like that's been a massive feature of uh, my life and my struggles with uh, anxiety and, and self-esteem is that I think I've often felt like my feelings weren't valid or I couldn't trust them. What do you mean by couldn't trust them? I, I, I'm, I've always been quite scared of like feeling a lot, or for instance, like I, 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 I avoid when I'm in a low place listening to like really sad music or or kind of indulging in any kind of art that might make me feel something because I'm quite frightened of of those bigger emotions which is funny because that's kind of you know what my art is for um I think yeah I don't know I've I was I've always just been so anxious and um I think maybe not had the right validation when I've you know grow, growing up or whatever, um, not necessarily by anyone in particular, but just a feeling like the way I felt was okay or valid. Where do you where do you kind of find that validation now in life? Uh, I mean, I'm learning to give it to myself slowly. Um, yeah, I think therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Well, we're kind of touching a little bit as well on co-op because it's about comfort and the kind of conflicted feelings you can have on that. But if you're able to give yourself validation, that feels like a comfort that's more safe as opposed to one that could kind of be taken away. Totally. And I think like, again, to go back to the therapy, I think that's something that like therapists have tried to, to kind of get me to learn is that if I can learn to validate myself like you say, it's a lot more of like a stable thing that can't be taken away. Whereas if I'm looking for external validation, um, you know, that's obviously uh, more fragile. How how long ago did you start going to therapy? Oh, I've been in and out of therapy for, I mean, since I was like 14, because I struggled really badly with panic attacks from the age of 10 to, to well, I still deal with them. So 26. So really long time. And so I was sort of, trying to tackle that um, through loads of different therapy. Um, yeah, I don't think there's much therapy I haven't done. <laughs> Just classic millennial. Have you settled on one now that feels like it works for you? Um, not, not, not really, not yet. I think CBT was really helpful. Um, but it, again, I think it's so dependent on the therapist you have. Um, and the therapist I really clicked with doing that, um, she, I sort of... Uh, graduated from therapy with her for a while um, and didn't see her and then 
uh, and then she she retired. So I'm sort of still trying to like find the right the right fit for me. That must be strange retiring as a therapist. Like when you forge these relationships with people for years and then you retire yeah. and it's all kind of gone. Yeah, it's just like nope, don't care. I was just doing it for the money. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, well, it didn't feel like that at all. But yeah, it's it's quite strange. I always just find the relationship between you and a therapist really odd because I my gut reaction is to be like but but anyway how are you how you know let's stop talking about me what have what have you been up to and I, I find it really uncomfortable how like one way the relationship is like an interview yeah exactly <laughs> I, I'm I'm struggling not to be like but anyway like what are you up to <laughs> I mean this feels like therapy I should be uh I should be paying you <laughs> are you is that because you learn different things from other people though like when you're just talking about yourself, is it harder to learn things and kind of understand it? Do you find that you learn through other people? I've never really thought about it like that, maybe. I think I'm very suggestible. So yeah, I think I really um, resonate with wh when I hear things from other people's point of view. Or similarly, I think I get myself in trouble because my way of relating to people, because it's how I like to be related to, is is to say, oh, do you know what? A similar thing happened to me and then proceed to talk about myself. And I think, you know, that that can be really frustrating for the other person. But really, it's me trying to say, I know how you feel and I, I you know, I've been there and I'm trying to be a comfort because that's how I like to be related to. But, um, but you know, obviously sometimes that can that can be a problem if you just need to be the one listening. Um, so yeah, I never really thought about it like that, but probably. I guess the reason my mind was going there as well, because on Time Comes in Roses, you kind of personify the idea of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I do, but I, I rarely will write lyrics that just come out and I don't know what they mean at first, because I know a lot of people say they write that way. And they'll kind of figure it out later. But I think I always had a problem with that when I did it. Because I was like, you know, well, I need to believe in what I'm saying. So that, that phrase, time comes in roses, just just came out. And and as I was singing it, I was like, well, I'm going to change that. Because I've got no idea what that means. Um, and then I thought it was quite nice. And it, it felt like it did mean something. But something I couldn't articulate. If you can't articulate that, how do you kind of build a song around it? Is that a different process than if you completely understand what's going on? Yeah, yeah, I suppose it's a different process. Yeah, I mean, I think it really was just a stream of consciousness, that song. And then and then that was one of the only lines in the song that I was like, oh, yeah, I actually don't know where that came from. Yeah, so, so I wouldn't say I built the song around that line. Yeah, I don't know. I'd never really written a song like, like how I wrote that one. Have you written one since in a similar way? Or is it kind of an outlier? I think, I think it's taught me taught me things and so I employ some of what it taught me in in how I write now so I wouldn't say I've written anything quite in the same way but I think I've taken I think I think I wouldn't particularly want to write a song in the same way again but it was more what I learned from writing that song which was that you know my emotions are valid and um and that they you know they resonate with other people um, and so in that sense, I can kind of let myself off for feeling as though it's too selfish or self-indulgent. Um, and so I think I, I employ more truth and and also not not having to make stuff mean something from, from you know, that particular line. Um, if something comes out 
it can be just as powerful as if I've thought it through. At what point in the process did that phrase come out? Like, were you already in quite an emotionally raw place? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I think it, it came up pretty, pretty early on in writing the song. I think I was playing around with the chords and I'd written maybe the first verse and then, you know, it's getting to the point where I was like, I probably need a chorus. Um, and it just came out and yeah, I, did, I was like, wow, that was, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that one. <laughs> I love how you think, oh, we probably need a chorus and then yeah. it kind of just unfurled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the pop, the pop heart in me. I need a hook. It's funny what you were saying about, or it's interesting rather what you were saying about how that song really opened a door for you in terms of your own expression. Are there any other songs kind of that you've written that have done that for you? Yeah, I think uh, there, there's a song on the record called Silver Fur, which was just, again, it felt like a bit of an anomaly. I, I don't play the piano, but I I wrote it on on Logic, on, you know, the fake piano, uh, just this sort of repetitive line. And, and I just liked it so much as a sort of instrumental. And... And I kind of had it for a while and didn't really know what to do with it. And then one day I just, again, it was a sort of stream of consciousness, which just allowed me to be a bit more free. And and with that song, it's just, I don't know, like six verses or something and no no chorus. And and I still think it's a good song and, and one of my favourite songs I've written. And so I think that that taught me that, you know, you don't have to stick to that rigid like pop structure. So, yeah, I mean, I think every song I write teaches me something, but it's quite hard to sort of articulate what. What did co-op teach you, if you're able to articulate it? Not to kind of uh, go against the inverse of what you've just said. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did it teach me? Uh, well, yeah, actually, that one's quite easy because... So, <laughs> it started off as, as a sort of joke... Because I was like, you know, I'm going to write a song about the co-op because it was such a big part of my life at that time. I just lived like right opposite the co-op and it was this beacon of like comfort. And I I didn't, again, I just thought like I'd, I'll probably change that because actually it's quite a nice melody, this song, and I think it could be good. But, you know, I probably won't leave it as the co-op because it's a little bit silly. <laughs> and, and even some friends said, you know, are you going to, are you actually going to leave it as co-op? And, and uh and I just decided I liked it too much to change it. And it meant something to me, even though maybe it was a little bit, I would say it was a bit risky because people could have interpreted it as just really silly. Um, but I don't feel like that was the reaction. And so I guess that song taught me that that I can change the meaning of something or take, I don't know, that music is that powerful that it can take something so mundane and make it feel important. I think as well, I mean, it comes down to the context because everything you surround that line about the court with is very kind of intimate and true and isn't and couldn't be construed in the same way that it might be seen as silly, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think that was my hope. And so I just took took a leap of faith because I was like, I don't think this could be taken as silly, even though if you isolate the chorus, it could be. Um, and yeah, so I guess that just that just taught me not to take myself too seriously. Or not to think anything's outside the bounds of, of something you could write about. It come, It's maybe kind of a similar thing to Time Comes in Roses, the way you were saying that you didn't know what that 
title meant but it felt right was it a similar thing with co-op would it have been disingenuous to change the line exactly yeah it was just kind of like that's the song that that is what the song was about and i can't change that and it's been played on co-op radio now as well hasn't it uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do you know what i keep walking into co-op hoping i'm gonna hear it and i don't but um yeah it's it's some sort of weird inception uh situation i think the world is going to implode <laughs> was that song was it written linearly was it very much each line led on to the next one or how did it kind of take shape i think i think it was linear yeah i don't i think i i think i mean it was quite a long time ago now but i think what it was was that i had the the verses already as an idea and and i think i'd i'd been writing the same song in different variations trying to um you know uh catch that that feeling so i think i'd been kind of yeah write, writing that same song but without kind of being able to contextualize it in a in a, you know because for me choruses generally are like the sort of base message of the song and and i think i was for ages kind of trying to write this song about comfort and and um domesticity and stuff like that but not being able to tie it all together in a way that made sense and then so so i think if i remember correctly it was that i already had the verses and then i just kind of clicked and because so my partner then said you know did you even go to the co-op if you don't come back singing the pop songs we'd always come back humming whatever song was on and and i was like i'm gonna write that into a song sort of like i said as a joke and then um and then i did uh, and it just sort of contextualized that that song that i've been trying to write for ages it's interesting because the way it kind of unfurls as well it switches tenses a few times like it's almost like you're flashing back like it's very much written in the present and then it'll kind of drop back to something in the past how is that for you writing it in terms of where your headspace is at i think that came completely like by accident because that's how it felt and then and then looking back I realized it sort of reflected the so, some of the books I'd read that had really left an impression on me um in terms of like that nostalgia and feeling like you're being you're sort of almost living in the past or you're trying to live in the present and and but you know through I'm really bad at talking about my own songs. Can you tell? <laughs> um, this is why I, I, write, I sing the songs. <laughs> um, but yeah, trying to kind of cling on to that that mundane st stability um, because your emotional world is feeling fractured and, yeah, time is feeling like a strange, non-linear experience. <laughs> Do you not find that mundane stability can be a little bit depressing, though? Yeah. If you get stuck in it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like, that's what co-op's about. It's about that, that conflict between this is really safe and um, comforting, but also who am I and do I really want that? And am I growing as a person? When did you write it? I wrote it. Oh, God. Honestly, time has just, again, I think my, <laughs> my perception of time is so skewed, especially now with the, the pandemic, must have been two or three years ago. 
how is that balance in your life now? How has it changed since then in terms of the mundane comfort, but also not feeling trapped by it? Um, I think the pandemic just sort of made it worse, as you can probably imagine. Because <laughs> um, I've always been like a homebody um, and very anxious in general. So like I've clung to um, structures and um, yeah, home, home life. Uh, and so I guess being in lockdown sort of inflamed that but then also um sort of forced me to confront independence and being on my own for the first time in a long time because I I spent the first lockdown living with my parents um because it just so happened that my lease had kind of ended on my flat and then I was meant to be going on tour but then I didn't so Instead of kind of staying at my parents for a couple of weeks, I ended up staying there for the whole of the first lockdown. And for me, that was just like a very like lonely experience, which is nobody's fault. It's just um, I I was used to not sort of having to deal with my anxiety on my own like that because I didn't find it particularly comforting to kind of talk about it with them. So, yeah, I think now I've got a better grasp on on a better balance of that kind of comfort versus feeling as though you're you're growing as a person and yeah i've had quite like a a sort of um interesting year in terms of like realizing things about myself and sort of yeah feeling feeling as though like that growth can can commence <laughs> yeah do you feel more confident to push forward now yeah i now do you've kind of had a year to work it out a little bit yeah, I mean, I'm still riddled with anxiety, which is something that I um, am work still working on. But in terms of like feeling like I know myself a lot better, that that's yeah, that's that's a lot better for me. And yeah, I feel more more secure and more comfortable with who I am. Does that impact your songwriting? Can you see it manifest itself in that? Yeah, I think like I said, I'm being more honest in my songs and validating myself more, and writing about uh, more tricky tricky topics then I think for me it's it was although like things to do with romantic relationships are really really challenging and heartbreaking and difficult that was almost like a more of a a visceral like easy to feel emotion to to dip into for for my songs whereas like the you know the, the stuff that's harder I feel I'm more willing and more able to explore in my songs now is that also because it's unexplored terrain to a certain I think extent partly but i think i also i tried to write about other things and and, and and more difficult things before and i just felt like i it wasn't accessible like I, I just couldn't even though i wanted to and now i'm feeling like that door is slowly being pushed open it'll be interesting to look back on this period in a few years like if it's a transition period and it feels like you're moving closer toward that yeah absolutely i i got a tattoo the other day um just it wasn't of anything you know deep and meaningful but to me it just meant something because i was like i kind of want to i want to mark this because i feel like this is a really interesting pivotal moment for me what was the tattoo, if you don't mind my asking? It's of a cat and it's on my arm. And honestly, the last two days I've been wondering if that was a horrible idea. But <laughs> it's done now. Um, it's it's by um, a really 
wonderful artist who's a friend of mine um and it's it's a gorgeous tattoo it's just i've just realized I, i've i've got a cat on my arm <laughs> how big is this cat <laughs> it's about what did we say it was two and a half inches so quite big uh, well you know it's not two for something that's going to be on your body forever it feels enormous to me just get a lizard off if you really regret it <laughs> yeah that's what i'm telling myself i i really like the tattoo it's just uh it's a weird thing to be like oh okay this is going to be on me forever is that your first one no um but the i only have one other one um and and i thought i knew i wanted that for years and years so i've always felt very very comfortable with that knowing that was going to happen and having it there how many years did you want it for before you got it three probably it's it's a windmill on my arm it's um it's actually <laughs> it's actually a gin logo <laughs> <laughs> but um it, it that's not kind of what it's meant to mean for me it's basically um you know the the spanish island menorca um they have these windmills there all over the island and there's just this really gorgeous illustration of the windmills on this bottle of gin that they sell there it's like mahon gin i think and um i've just been going there ever since i was really really tiny and it because my grandma has a house out there and then my mum went when she was a kid and it's this kind of like lovely um place where all our extended family it's kind of like a shared home and and kind of this thing that just never changes so it's quite a weird experience to go back there um and, and it just means a lot to me so Very i kind idyllic. of was, yeah yeah it's gorgeous it's like on the cliff and um wow. overlooking the sea when was the last time you were there oh too long i think like three years ago have you ever written there i've tried i bought a guitar once but um I find my writing is worse when I'm somewhere really beautiful because I'll write something really average, but because I'm looking out at the most beautiful scenery, I think it's the best thing ever. And then I take it back to grey England and I play it again and I think that's that's a really average song. <laughs> <laughs> so it's best for me to write in like a really horrible location. <laughs> How Was that maybe a little bit why you struggled in lockdown as well, if you're back home when you've kind of got a beautiful garden and stuff is it a little bit trickier i think yeah i think that's totally on the money um yeah I, I i'm always jealous of people that say they like take their guitar out into the garden to write because like that does not work for me yeah it because yeah the first lockdown was really nice and i think i was like outside most of the time when did you when did you leave your parents um when did i leave them so september last year so i yeah i was there a really long time and when you leave there you go back to brighton yeah yeah so i live in in hove which is i don't know if you know hove but it's just like basically brighton brighton and hove albion yeah exactly there we go <laughs> <laughs> i can always relate every place in england to a football team that's my kind of geography of it <laughs> i would know nothing <laughs> But where do your parents sit? They're not too far out of Brighton, right? No, no. So they're only like 20 minutes away. They're in a little um, town called Lewis. I remember you reading, you said that when you first started writing songs, it was when you settled there. Because you moved around a lot, right? Kind of growing up for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think when I first wrote songs, we were in uh, a little village outside of Lewis. But I mean, I count that sort of the same, you know, 
like my parents have moved into a few different houses but like all around that kind of same area yeah I was like 13 probably and was that after you'd been in that spot for a little while like once you kind of started to sell yeah I think so yeah to kind of bring it back to what feels like it's maybe been the theme of our conversation a little bit comfort is there something in that comfort that and being in that one place and having that stability that kind of allowed you to unlock that creativity and start writing is there a connection there in any way do you think I mean I think it's almost the opposite um, <laughs> I think it's that I think what what my first songs were about was um sort of the breakdown of my parents relationship and the kind of almost like feeling as though I was losing that that stability and that comfort yeah I mean that that was what my first songs were about which I'm sure was really enjoyable for my mum to listen to. I'd keep coming downstairs going, I've got a new song. And she'd be like, oh God. <laughs> Did you know what they were about at that point? Yeah, yeah. They were, they were, you know, they were like 13 year old songs, like. On the nose a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when did it start to move past that for you? I think like, mo- I mean, most, I was like, I didn't have many experiences of my own to really draw upon other than, sort of witnessing like the issues in my my family life so I think I got very frustrated with myself as a teenager because I didn't I didn't have you know boyfriends or anything like that until I was like 19 upwards so I had I mean I I wouldn't go to parties because I wanted to just stay in and play my guitar so I I mean my experiences were really limited and I think I was frustrated by that because I was like, I want to write about, you know, something other than my bloody parents. Yeah, I think it was it was difficult for me. And so I think I dealt with a lot of writer's block as a teenager, <clears throat> just from being frustrated with actually like having all this creative energy, but feeling like all it ever went on was these topics that I was I didn't want to think about anymore. Um, and then, yeah, I think it was only like later on where I really like thought, oh, OK, I actually have things to say when you were staying in and playing your guitar was that a drive to try and get better at it or was it just because you enjoyed it or just because I enjoyed it um yeah I I didn't massively enjoy like socializing and like parties and stuff um and I just yeah I was just obsessed with just yeah it wasn't really me wanting to hone my skills it was just like something I felt like it was the it was the only thing I ever wanted to do dang all that social stuff as well when you're a teenager especially if you're experiencing anxiety can all be a little bit messy yeah I suppose yeah I don't know if that's the right word for it oh I think that's a great word for it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I mean obviously I had I had like I had the drive to go out and it was like I wanted to be part of things and I would go to parties occasionally but yeah I just I didn't really fit in with my school I you know I had a small intimate group of friends and yeah, I, I was just not in a very... I didn't know who I was and I didn't really fit in. And I just... I was, Yeah, I don't know. I think I think also with those kind of things, like, they're only really enjoyable if you feel really attractive as a teenager, which sounds really silly, but it was kind of like, you know, the whole point of parties would be to go and see who, who we can all kiss. And I did not feel like that. Um, I just... I was... I had no self-esteem. So I just wanted to stay in and, yeah, play my guitar and create my own little sort of um my own world around me oh you just go and you get drunk enough until you feel attractive yeah that's the the solution to that one i think that's what my friend said at the time but i was like well i have too much anxiety and my therapist said i shouldn't drink so i can't even do that (laughs) 
Oh. Why should you start drinking out then? I did. I honestly like. I mean, I I am not a big drinker. Never have been because I had anxiety issues from such a young age that like I was always told like drinking is going to exacerbate that problem, and so I always like just was quite sensible. Um, as boring as that is, obviously, like I've had times in my life where I've gotten drunk or like periods where I've been drinking more. Um, I would say I started drinking at like fifteen. You know, as in like people in my school started drinking and um you know that was becoming the norm but I, I would never get drunk I was I was just too terrified of losing control do you have any vices now that you would class as if you're not a big drinker I think from I think the thing is like drinking for a lot of kids is like a rebellion and so the ways in which I would rebel would be different because for me drinking wasn't a rebellion because it's it's very much part of my family's culture that they all really like a drink my my extended family um they're all very like gre- gregarious and loud and would drink That's and Scottish, smoke <laughs> do you know what <laughs> maybe maybe somewhere down the line but um not as far as i know but yeah i i think for me it was just like my parents were always very very relaxed about like drinking smoking stuff like that so i just didn't it didn't even have that appeal to me um and so i think my way of rebelling was like to not do those things and to yeah I mean I don't I don't know I'm not like I was quite naughty at school but not in, in those way? I mean I just talked back to the teachers and like I was at a really like uh, academic school and when nobody would behave like that but I felt really misunderstood so I think my way of rebelling would be to just I wasn't scared to have a go at people teachers wise and like you know what? Maybe my cat tattoo is me rebelling at 26. <laughs> <laughs> but then, did songwriting help with that when you were growing up? Was that another outlet for it, other than rebelling? Or did it never really take on that shape for you at that point? Yeah, maybe. I think, well, it was definitely an outlet. Uh, I don't think it was ever, again, it wasn't rebellion because my parents were so supportive of my music. Like, there was never any, like, hesitation or, like, fear from them. I was like, I, I want to be a musician. They were like, brilliant, go for it. Um, which I'll always be so grateful to them for. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a way of letting off steam. I think for me, I wasn't interested in rebelling. I was interested in um, in having control because I was a really, I think I was a really difficult child. I think I had like anger issues and felt really misunderstood and had like, you know, me and my mum were always just having a really difficult time with each other because I wanted to communicate everything and I think she found that quite overwhelming um so I think maybe that's why I started writing songs because I was just very different to my other siblings how many siblings did you have so I have um a younger brother who is now 21 a younger sister who's 22 but she's got very severe autism and then an older sister who's 28 so you're in the middle. Yes. Very much right in the middle. I'm the awkward middle child. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting what you were saying about you felt like you didn't have control over you're looking for that. Was that partly what songwriting gave you? A sense of control? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, like songwriting like felt like a like something physical came over me when I when I'd songwrite, which was like a really similar feeling to like when I was younger and I'd play so many imaginary games and I was obsessed with dolls until I was probably too old to be obsessed with dolls. <laughs> And it was the same feeling. It was like this this control of being like, I can shut my door and just create something that nobody else can dictate. And 
you know, live in this sort of fantasy. Yeah, I think that's why I got writer's block when I was a teenager, because I didn't want to kind of, I wanted to escape, but then I didn't want to write about anything that I didn't know about, if that made sense. Yeah. Is that, it's interesting what you were saying there, you used to play with dolls. That doesn't have any relation to the song Dolly on the album, does it? <laughs> no, no, Dolly's um, uh, the nickname of, of somebody who I was just about to name and I probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a line I really love on All You Can Do as well where you say I treat you like a confessional but I'm no good at fearing God at all. I mean, I love that juxtaposition. What is your relationship to God and that kind of idea that you're articulating in that sentence? I mean, I don't, I don't um, believe in God. I wish I did. And I think that's the kind of continual uh, conflict that w- appears in a lot of my songs is like that yearning for meaning and guidance, but that frustration at not believing that there is any. Yes, grappling with the idea that that life is meaningless. <laughs> this took a real dark turn. <laughs> yeah, sort of envy towards people that do have faith in, in anything. Well, not anything, but, you know, in, in something outside of this life. Yeah, but if you don't, if you think it's meaningless, you can give life your own meaning. Whereas those people have chosen to, I guess they give it their own meaning as well, but it's more like they've attached themselves to a preconceived meaning rather than apply something to it that feels perfectly suited to them and it's going to be the most fulfilling yeah, in yeah. their day to day. No, that's true. I think the thing is, it's not that I find life meaningless. I think I create meaning, like you said, in my life. I think it's just, it all comes from like a fear of death and feeling like, you know, um, I, which I, I mean, I, I don't want to offend anyone by saying this, but I think a lot of religion is born out of a fear of death. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm sort of, bitter that some people get to live in that sort of um land where they can believe that something happens when you die because i just could never believe that they must have doubts though i think i think i think i mean it's hard because i'm so not religious to me i'm like oh they must know that on some level or they must doubt it on some level or be in denial um which obviously i'm not I know that that's a relatively offensive thing to say, but that's just, I can't help that that's just how my brain works. And it's also coming from a place of, like I said, wishing that I could be spiritual. Well, I suppose I'm spiritual in a way, but wishing I could believe in, in, in you know, a God that would save me. Yeah, I've sort of gone off on a tangent and forgotten what you even <laughs> asked me. <laughs> how It's interesting what you said, though, that you feel like you're spiritual. and In what way? I mean, in the sense that, like, for me, music is so amazing. Like, I just can't get over that. Like, there's this thing that is like a frequency that you can hear that that evokes emotion in you that I think is probably exclusive to humans. I mean, I don't know. My dogs kind of like it when I play on the piano badly and they sit and sort of sit on my feet. But, you know, I think... (laughs) I. Yeah, I don't know. I have. I think that's why my frustration with religion is is there because I actually do have a great sense of like this has to mean something, but then I can't find any proof that that it does, and so it's that sort of that sort of spirituality. That I mean, that's interesting to kind of draw that parallel to music because that's something that's so prevalent in religion. 
particularly Christianity and stuff, the idea of, you know, singing hymns and singing as a group. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's partly think they're singing to God. So it's almost like they're using music as a form of connection in that case. Yeah. Or even like speaking in tongues, there's like a musicality to that. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And perhaps that sort of reinforced, you know, the religions when they were in, inceptionalized. I don't know if that's a word. Mm, we'll make it a word. In the, <laughs> in the beginning. Um, and yeah, maybe that's what kind of reinforced their feeling that it's so powerful. And, and I, I, was, I went to a school where we had to go to chapel every morning and sing hymns. And every I think, morning? Every morning. That, you know what, that was a way I rebelled because I never went. I used to hide in the gym lockers because <laughs> I just, I couldn't believe that they forced us to engage in a religion that we weren't necessarily um, subscribed to. But, but I have to say that I thought the hymns were beautiful. I guess it's just a tradition, isn't it? Which we seem to be moving away from. I was reading in the paper yesterday, they were talking about they're getting rid of head boy and head girl in Scotland. It's just school captains now. Oh, really? I wonder, is that just a title difference? Or is that, does that actually have any bearing on the role? <laughs> well, I don't think the roles are gender exclusive anymore either. I think it's, it could be two girls, it could be two guys that end up taking on the roles, or it could be one of each. It's quite... It's I just think that society's in such a transformative phase where like, it's difficult for everyone to keep up, isn't it? And I think that's why there's a lot of like, polarising happening. Um, but ultimately, I think it, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's, it feels like a time of chaos, but what time of transition isn't, you know? Yeah, that's true. I also think just like obviously social media is just like making it so much more rapid. You know, every day there's something new to consider and something new that has become outdated. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a very crazy time, but, but, but ultimately I think people are becoming more, more compassionate. Yeah, or I, th I feel like maybe that compassion was always in them. It's just a case of applying it and utilising it. Yeah, although council culture is not very compassionate, so I don't know. Has <laughs> <laughs> that peaked yet, do you think? I bloody hope so. I hate council culture. You know, obviously there, there are, there are um, instances in which, okay, totally fair enough to hold someone accountable or or in all cases hold somebody accountable but don't cancel them depending on what they did but i mean i just think people are fa really fallible and people learn and grow and we have to make room for people to be able to grow otherwise i don't know who's so perfect that they've never said something that now they wouldn't or you know i just think it's it's a sad thing if we if we won't let people change and grow and obviously this is within reason i'm not talking about people that have done abhorrent things or like said really unforgivable things but you know i think people are getting cancelled left right and center for stuff at the moment and like bad jokes yeah yeah and it's just like for stuff they did 10 years ago and as long as they you know they say they acknowledge it and apologize or whatever then leave them alone <laughs> I think it's Dave Chappelle who's got that quote where he says, you know, I wouldn't get angry at a photo that was taken 20 years ago, which is the same reason why I don't get angry at a joke. Maybe I wouldn't make that joke now, but it's a different time, different context. It's all about context. Totally. And 
You know, I was listening to um, another one of your podcasts the other day, and I think you said something like, you know, comedy in general doesn't age well. And, like, I'd agree with that. Is this the Chloe Foy one? Yes, yeah, it must have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's true. If you look back at anything from 30 years ago, it's not really funny. Like, very few comedies manage to hold up. Not even in an inappropriate way, just in general. Yeah, because they're all about, you know, comedy's at its best when it's dealing with current affairs and, and speaking to, yeah, the, the relatable things. That's another kind of tricky situation that we found ourselves in, though, that comedy has kind of become in the one space where you're allowed to say, where you're kind of given a platform to say what you think without being censored. Whereas it feels like everywhere else, kind of touching upon what we're saying there with the cancel culture thing, it's becoming very kind of sanitized and boxed in and everyone's terrified. Yeah, that's the thing. And even on this topic, I'm not sure what to say because I am not an extremely, you know, I, I may be a woman, but I, I wouldn't consider myself a marginalized person at all. And so even on that, I feel that, you know, a little bit like I'm, I'm not sure I have a, a place to say anything on this because, you know, I don't personally find, I don't know. I'm See, I'm worried I'm going to dig myself a hole. <laughs> but um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like comedy, I think part of the, the part of what makes comedy comedy, like you say, is that it's meant to be like a sort of a, a safe place. This isn't within reason. I don't think jokes about everything are funny. But then it's interesting because music is a similarly safe place and yet it doesn't, it feels more timeless. You know, it doesn't have a problem with aging. You can listen to a Joni Mitchell album from 50 years ago, whatever, and it still holds up. Although maybe that's because it's tapping into a more universal issue than something that's very current. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I think like music is timeless when it's tackling more universal themes rather than like comedy, like, like we said, is more, is more... Um, hinged on being relevant or whatever you know and, and I think there is plenty of music that doesn't age well too and that's primarily in the pop sphere that's just very very um, trendy now and that's the kind of thing I've always been quite careful to try not to do because I want my, my music to hold up. Have you ever felt yourself kind of have an attraction to that in any way like trends or have you always managed to steer clear? I think I, I really do love, like, I mean, I think electronic instruments can be timeless and that's fine. But I think there was a, f a period where, like, there was quite a lot of people doing this sort of, like, f electronic folk. It kind of came after, like, the, the new new folk wave of, like, you know, Laura Marling and Mumford and & Sons and all the, you know, when folk music kind of, like, exploded again, like... What, what about like Bon Iver, like that kind of thing too, or yeah, kind of like, and then I think yeah, after it was slightly after Bon Iver, like every, like I think there was like this kind of surge of like folky electronic music, and and I thought it sounded great, but then I also was like I wanted to be a bit careful about that because I mean I use I use electronic drums and electronic sounds in my music, but I think I was drawn to a sound that was becoming a bit fashionable, and I had to be conscious of that i mean you mentioned they're using electronic instruments because is it co-op that opens where you kind of have a lot of sounds that are reversed and stuff yeah yeah so as particularly on co-op i suppose but like a lot of the record has you know synths um bass uh synth uh electronic drums that kind of thing so it's definitely like an influence for me bands like beach house 
but for me that's still timeless because they 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 yeah I, th I think I've probably made it sound like I think electronic instruments can't be timeless but it was more so the kind that the kind of style that was happening in that moment that I thought could could have its moment and then die but, but I don't think that's been the case I do feel though that electronic instruments don't age quite as well it's almost like you know in movies like CGI compared to practical effects yeah like I feel like electronic instruments are CGI and practical effects are acoustic recordings like it still ages but in an easier way no that's so true because if you think about you know bands from the 80s that used all those like, classic like <laughs> really like sort of massive drums seeped in reverb and stuff and that that that's a classically 80s noise now whereas like like you say Joni Mitchell from you know I don't know one of her records from the 70s for instance could be played now and sound current yeah I was listening to you know True Stories the Talking Heads album yeah and it kind of feels very of its time and parts. Yeah, it's yeah. Totally leaning into that 80s production that hasn't maybe aged as well as it would have liked to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and there are cool things about that as well. Um, you know, sort of capturing that moment in time that can't be reproduced. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm talking myself in circles. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've spoken a lot about comfort throughout this chat. Where are you most comfortable in the creative process? Definitely writing. I uh, Do you know what? I don't really like being in the studio. How come? I just find it intensely boring, which is, I feel like, a really awful thing to say out loud. <laughs> but um, it's for me, like, if, if, if... I'm not very good at working in a group, honestly. If I don't have complete control over stuff, and if I feel that, you know, in the studio... Obviously, I deeply care how the songs are produced and how they sound. But if I'm sort of not being needed for a few hours and then I'm being needed, I find it very hard to like reactivate my brain. Oh, is this a similar thing? Because I've heard you talk about before that you feel like your best songs come very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons I've been trying not to talk about it because I feel that it, I worry that it's all I'm going to be talking about. But one of the reasons I said this period of my life has been quite interesting and, and a sort of period of growth is because I got diagnosed with ADHD like uh three months ago and it's made me realize like so many things about the creative process and why I am the way I am so for me like any kind of waiting around is so intensely boring that I just switch off or if I'm very impatient so if like things aren't happening quickly so so with the songwriting I get instant gratification for that but with the being in the studio, it's a much longer process and the gratification comes a lot later, you know, like years later sometimes. And I, and it's not like I need the gratification of people listening to it. It's more like I want to hear what it's going to sound like now. And it's hard for me to like stay enthusiastic for a sustained period of time. I wonder if there would be a way that you could try and utilise that, but there's so much waiting around the studio that probably isn't. Like if you could almost try and keep that creative energy going and go and do something else when you're not needed for a few hours, but... Yeah, I've thought about... I, I often like draw when I'm in the studio. It's quite a nice way to keep my brain occupied. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm considering like, you know, getting much more skilled at production so that I can write and produce my own stuff because I think that would be a lot more fulfilling for me because it would feel like it's in completely in my control. So like, if I write a song I love, I can record it right now and, you know just work on it and I don't have to answer to anyone else and 
stuff like that. I'm just a bit of a control freak. I think that's the takeaway from this chat. <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.